listening to CPC Together, a podcast by Central Peninsula Church in the San Francisco Bay Area. All right, well, welcome everybody back to another episode. We're on episode 27. <laughs> Is that accurate? I don't know. <laughs> that don't know sounds what, right. I don't know what episode we're on, but we've done a good amount of these. Like We have. Dude, we are on episode 27. Look at that. Oh Look my at, gosh. It's almost like we know what we're doing. That's incredible. <laughs> Um, we've been doing this for no. There, there were episodes before we started on that feed, right? Well, we twenty-seven had weeks and all that kind of stuff. But we, yeah, we've done. That's wild. That's more than half a year. And they thought we'd never make it. <laughs> um, Kevin, I feel like you shouldn't be here today. I know. Well, I was thinking about CPC together. <laughs> this is in the business what they call a segue, and uh, you know we have been together now, me and you for. 40 minutes today yes but Lindsay and i today have been together for 13 years today today this morning i woke up and it was our 13 year anniversary wow 13 years is is a big deal it's a teenager our 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 wedding our marriage not our wedding our marriage is a teenager that's a that's a lot of years and it's been 13 good years so, Katie and I are, are at 15 years this year uh, wow that's a big one that's why uh you were trying to go on a cruise yeah. And then you rescheduled the cruise, right? Right. Oh, that's good. We're leaving this week, actually. Are you really? Mm-hmm. You know where we're going um, this weekend, too. So we are headed to Minneapolis, which is not the destination of choice <laughs> for the 13-year anniversary. But Lindsay has a conference out there, and so I'm uh, I'm hitching along, and, and we're going to spend the weekend in beautiful Minneapolis. Actually, so. I've heard Minneapolis is kind of cool now. Really? Okay, yeah. Lindsay loves it. She's been there a few times before. Yeah. And so she was actually really excited to take me, but... I used to live in Minneapolis, you know. What? Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard this. I lived there for two years. You lived years. in a lot of... For 10 years? Two. Oh, I was... Okay, for two for years. For fourth and fifth grade. Yeah. But I didn't really experience Minneapolis because I was... As a fourth grader, you weren't like <laughs> hitting downtown Minneapolis? Well, that and we lived on a seminary campus. Oh, okay. And so my entire community... Yeah. I was yeah, yeah. homeschooled for that those oh, years. Man. So. so you didn't go outside much. You were just... <laughs> well, we were outside, but we were outside at the seminary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually went back. There. I had like a four-hour layover like last year, I think, yeah. in, in Minneapolis. And okay. it's it's Bethel Theological Seminary in Arden Hills. It's like oh. right, right St. Paul, Minneapolis border. Yeah, yeah. So I like rented a little cheap car and like drove over to my childhood and i remember playing in these huge i thought you were talking about like when you were in fourth and fifth grade you rented a car i was like i don't think you can do that (laughs) and i drove over there this was last year and i like that's wild saw like where i grew up and i remember when you go back force oh yeah like i remember huge and then i go there everything was was small it was like five trees yeah (laughs) Um, but i would build like tp4 i I used to tell my kids like i grew up in in a forest in the in the woods. You don't understand what yeah. it was like. <laughs> the only thing I know of Minneapolis is, uh, so Lindsay had taken um, a few trips there during the winter, and she says it's so it was so cold that she literally would be there for like 10 days and didn't go outside. Because like, she was at this hotel where the conference was or whatever she was at, and they would have underground tunnels that would get you everywhere. Because like if you go outside, it you will like die. Yeah, <laughs> it's so cold. Yeah, from our apartment to the seminary building where my dad walked, he said it was about like a half a mile. Yeah, and I remember one day, like <laughs> he said, I almost died. Like <laughs> his eyes just get frozen, his beard's all yeah, frozen the beard over. Was it's like, frozen. Uh, I mean, it was it it's was a completely different. They all have like little things that you plug your you can plug your car in. Yeah, yeah. So you're 
Just to keep the engine running or something like that? To keep well, it, just like, so warm. everything doesn't freeze, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we know a lot about the cold out here in San Francisco. I just saw an article <laughs> that the coldest place in summer in the United States is San Francisco. Really? Yeah. That's what Mark Twain used to say, right? The coldest winter he ever experienced was a summer in San Francisco. What's, is that like 50 degrees? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. But, but yeah, in the United States, the coldest place during, I think it was during July, is San Francisco. So we know a lot about the cold. <laughs> yes. People are probably riveted right now by this conversation. <laughs> They're big, big fans of the weather conversation. Um, well, happy anniversary to you. 15 years, too. And thank Lindsay, you. happy anniversary. I'm grateful for you. It was July 1st, so we're, we're beyond ours. Oh, you're right two years and a month. Yeah, we're August 1st, so. If you ever need, you know, we're two years ahead of you, so if you need advice on, on marriage, just come to me. Brandon, what's it going to be like in two years? <laughs> it just keeps getting, just keeps getting better. Um, hey, okay, so you start, you kind of asked this question in your message yesterday. Yeah. Um, why wouldn't Jesus just give us the kingdom of God in a sentence? Yeah. Like, why wouldn't he just make it so simple? Yeah. You know, why, yeah. We, we need to Three hear Three points it. in a poem, like a good Baptist or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. ironically enough, as we were talking before this, you have a sentence um, to describe the kingdom of God. But yeah. before we hear that, yeah, what, what, why the mystery? Yeah, well, I think as I, you know, as I mentioned in that sermon, um, <clears throat> is you, it's really hard to capture like the essence of something in a sentence, particularly something as profound as, you know, the example I used was obviously Lindsay and I's marriage, um, or your relationship with your kids, or the kingdom of God, like, all those things are so kind of rich and profound, like, to to distill it down to a sentence is naturally going to reduce the thing, right? Like, it's not going to be able to capture its fullest essence. Like, I would imagine this is similar to how uh, I imagine there's a crossover somehow on on the way you, like, approach writing a song. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's a depth and a richness to it. Like, why would you write a song about your relationship with your daughters opposed to just telling them this is how much I love you, right? Because there's, there's something greater going on there. Um, there's, there's a, um, both an emotional attachment to it. It, you know, songs, um, stories, like all those things, they dig, like we're, we're by nature, we're narrative creatures. We love stories. Yeah. Um, and so there's something about narrative that communicates to us in a much deeper level than just, lecture right or just statement or written comment i actually thought you were going a different direction with songwriting because in songwriting you have to distill the story down Mm, mm -hmm. like you have to say it in you know two verses and a chorus and a bridge yeah 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 and so by nature it's you have to reduce the story you have to figure out how to tell the economy of words aspect to be able to tell the story in a smaller yeah chunk but yeah a song is is portable a a song is memorable and you carry it you carry it with you Mm -hmm. just like Mm -hmm. a story i mean yeah there's probably a good chance yesterday the thing that most people will remember from your message is the honduras story at the end yeah yeah which at at first by the way when i was kind of writing the sermon i i didn't have a story yet and sometimes i don't always i usually add stories to my messages like last like it's i just kind of allow it to 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 bubble in there but i was thinking as i was reviewing the sermon i was like i talk about the importance of story at the top and if i don't have a story here that's not gonna, <laughs> not gonna land well and so that story came to mind later in the week and i added it in but um. so jesus knowing how our brain is wired knowing the brilliance of jesus he 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 actually decides to to 
display yeah. the kingdom of God yeah. via story. And yeah. that's kind of what this little passage was. It was yeah. him. That's really what all the parables, I mean, almost all the parables are about the kingdom of God. Like first and foremost, they're about the kingdom of God. And and we tend to read them as individualistic, like moral stories, like stories with a purpose or something. And and I think that's, that's again, that's a very Western way to kind of approach those things, to, to reduce it down to that. Um, but the reality is these, these parables are, again, yeah, Jesus' way of defining or expositing what the kingdom of God is and, and how it um, how it functions and how it operates. And again, I'm just always like, as we've been going through Mark again, as I've been sitting in the gospels now for a couple months, like I'm just fascinated with how Jesus is not really, he just really isn't interested in um, like really clear cut answers. Like mm. he just seems to always kind of just leave people thinking like, and, it, and it's brilliant because when he, he, he leaves groups or crowds thinking, they have to sit and mull over those concepts and they, they begin to kind of, you know, more deeply embed themselves into us. And I think, again, that's what, that's how the parables are designed and they're, they're pretty masterfully done. I feel like we see that in our pop culture gurus too. Mm, like, yeah. Like Yoda. Yeah. Know, he'll kind of, <laughs> yeah. He'll yeah. kind of like drop a, a one liner that'll make, that'll make the person in the movie like, you know, confused Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all these, these kind of, you know, people that have nuggets of wisdom, they're not just going to tell you. Yeah. Um, and that's part of, you know, like even when you go to therapy, you know, like, Mm, a therapist mm-hmm. could just say, here's your problem. Yeah. They'll probably see it right away. They're like, dude, this guy's a yeah. narcissist, you know, the yeah. whatever. But they know that it's so much better and it lasts. Yeah. Like the the road to growth is so much better if you discover it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so maybe, yeah, maybe that's a piece of what, what Jesus is doing here. Yeah, no, I think so. So how do you define the kingdom of God? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think that's, uh, a question that I think has, has come up um, because I think this is one of those areas, one of those topics where we bring in all sorts of um, what we believe it is before we actually kind of let it, the kingdom of God define itself. And so I think it might actually be worth starting with what I would say the kingdom of God is not. Um, and as a way of just kind of defining maybe those preconceived notions and say, yeah, maybe that's not quite what it actually is. And so I, I would just start by saying the kingdom of God is not, heaven when you die, right? Which is the general way we think of the whole story is about going to heaven when you die. That's um, not even part of the story? I mean, it, it is in the sense, I mean, it depends on how we define heaven, right? Where heaven is where the presence of God is. Um, but but the whole story, right? Again, I talk about this a, a, a pretty fair amount of the scriptures is about heaven coming back onto earth and God reconciling this creation. So the story isn't about going to heaven when you die, um, although that you are to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. Like it's Paul talks about that. So like when you die, you are in fact with God. Um, but that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is new creation and the resurrection. So at the end of everything, we, every single person will be resurrected. And then those who, who know Jesus are kind of ushered into this new creation and those who don't are not. And so when we, when this new creation is fully established on earth, again, this is revelation 21 and 22, I look up to the sky. There's a new city coming out of heaven to earth. Like the whole story is about God reconciling this earth. And so the kingdom of God, what we often think of is, oh, that's just heaven. And and usually we come to that because in Matthew's gospel, he calls it the kingdom of heaven, um, which actually in the Greek, it's the heavens. It's it's What he's talking about is the kingdom 
of God around us. And he's, there's all sorts of reasons why he's doing that. He's writing to a Jewish audience that wouldn't, out of reverence for the name God, wouldn't use the word God. And so he mm. substitutes the word heaven for God. Um, but the idea, again, is that the kingdom of God is not going to heaven when you die. Um, the kingdom of God, uh, or, or maybe this is the other way I would not define it, and then I'll get to kind of what I think the scripture says it is, <clears throat> is the kingdom of God is not the church. And we can often think of the kingdom of God is the church. And it's like inviting people to the kingdom of God means they got to come and join our community and stuff. Like both those things have an important role in our story, but they're not what is meant when Jesus says the kingdom of God. Mm. Um, so now, so those kind of, kind of misconceptions, um, the kingdom of God, as, you know, according to what we see throughout scripture is this, this essentially this, it's exactly what the word kingdom is. It's a domain, which is if you break down the word kingdom, it's got king and it's got dumb, which is where like domain comes from. Um, and anytime you see that, that suffix dumb, um, it's the place in which whatever the prefix is, is kind of ruling, right? So right. think of, think of boredom, yeah. right? It is the domain in which you are bored. Yeah. Um, so kingdom is the domain in which a king is ruling. And so uh, oftentimes I call this office Brandom. Yeah. <laughs> It's the Brandom. Yeah. It is the domain in which Brandon Brandon reigns. Yeah, you are in the presence of Brandon right now. <laughs> I have been welcomed into the kingdom of Brandon. <laughs> um, so so when we think of like the kingdom of God, um, and when Jesus says it's here, right? Not some distant thing in the future, it's here, space, it's present. Is the kingdom of God, if I were to try to define it down to a sentence, which I just said is probably a bad idea, um, it is Anywhere, it is where what God wants to have happen, happens, right? And so when, when Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, that is a parallelism where he's saying the same thing virtually twice. And so the second one in that is defining the previous one. So when he says, your kingdom come, what comes after that, your will be done, is a clarifying statement about the first one. And so the kingdom of God is where the will of God is done. Mm. And so then when Jesus says it's here and available, what he's saying is you no longer have to go through this, this process and, uh, you know, kind of the old Testament process of going through a priest and going through, you know, the purification codes and all those sorts of things. He's saying, no, 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 the kingdom of God is present. It's here. It's in me. I am that King for which we spoke about the Messiah. We spoke about the prophets spoke about all that. He says that has now come. It was, in the future, but his arrival has brought the future into the present. He says, now you can enter into the kingdom where you live into the reality of God's will being done on earth right here and right now. Um, but again, this is where, you know, when Jesus says repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, um, or the kingdom of God is here, what he's saying in that word repent is, is again, rethink, reorder, re reimagine life in light of God saying you can live his way now. Um, where you are. So that, that then opens up, you know, a world of possibilities of what discipleship means. Discipleship is learning to come under the Lordship of Jesus, coming under his kingship to live the eternal kind of life right here and right now. Um, and so that, that's again, I think where we, we get to like, what exactly does the kingdom of God mean? It's, it's uh, again, where what God wants done is done, where his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, right here and we can live into that <clears throat> that was way more than one sentence <laughs> that's true which is why maybe it's better to just say the kingdom of god is like a little seed you know jesus was pretty smart i think he was better at it than me 
Yeah, so it's interesting, like, thinking about that. We have this propensity as um, self-centered creatures. Yeah. Um, where, you know, we have this thing in us that needs to um, make sure that our needs are taken care of, make sure that our, you know, desires are gratified. Yeah. And that our will is done. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus coming here, you know, saying the kingdom of God is about my will. Yeah. Not your will. Yeah. Um, and you kind of bring this out in your message. And it was actually a pretty, <laughs> we got a lot of laughs during this because he basically said like, if you're, if you're, if you're just feeling like Jesus just always agrees with you <laughs> yeah. and like your will, like, oh yeah, my will is always just kind of Jesus. Yeah. Will. There's a chance up. that you're getting it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because um, his will is so different than yeah. our will. Yeah. 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 It gets to that, you know, again, if, <clears throat> if the kingdom of God is God reigning, right? Just like a king would like reigning and ruling, like God's rule is present here on earth. <clears throat> that will, that will by necessity confront all other quote kingdoms. And I think what, what you're getting at is this idea of we have this kingdom of self, this kingdom of me, um, in which we, we want what we want done, right? And sometimes, sometimes that when it's bad, that's been renovated by the work of the Holy Spirit, like that, that does in fact lead um, and, and will intersect with the kingdom of God and the will of God. But more often than not, particularly early on in our kind of discipleship and apprenticeship to Jesus, those, those things aren't in line with the kingdom of God. And so we express ourselves and we desire for us to be um, on top or to have our say or whatever it is. And that then, that kingdom of me, will naturally conflict with the kingdom of God. Um, because again, it's, it's we, are, we are asserting our own rule and reign rather than saying God has given us the capabilities to rule and reign, but it's under his kingship. Uh, we're more like, you know, servants, if you will, uh, of the king, not not the king itself, but we want to assert ourselves as king. And so we tend to um, always bring our our rule and reign, and that will conflict by nature to, to Jesus, because we're not fully renovated. We're not fully restored through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if, as, as I said yesterday, if every time you're challenged by, by something, you realize, oh, no, Jesus just always agrees with me. This is great. Um I, man, you're either holier than me, <laughs> or or we've somehow created the kingdom of God in our own likeness. Yeah, to to become more like Jesus, to to live into the kingdom of God, there's an unlearning, like we talked about, yeah. I think a couple of weeks ago, and a relearning that happens, and that's not going to be easy. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing in life, almost nothing in life that we that we can pursue that reforms a habit that is not difficult. Like I found yeah. this tweet, yeah. <laughs> sent this to my teenager and she hated me for it. <laughs> um, Cause she's very talented. And yeah. so everything she does, a lot of things she does, they come very naturally to her mm-hmm. and we're trying to develop resilience so yeah. that you have to, and, yeah. and I sent her this tweet that I found that said, I'm deeply disgusted to discover that in order to get good at a thing, I have to do it badly first. <laughs> And, um, you know, so many of us just want to get there. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah. there's this there's this part of us that we have to realize this is going to be a journey. Yeah. And for us to surrender yeah. our will yeah. 
confronts every bad habit that we have. Yes. Yeah. It confronts every every little nuance that we have in life, every yeah. relationship. Yeah. Um, Jesus's way is different. Mm-hmm. And if, yeah, like you said, if we're not confronted, we've got to be missing it. Yeah. Yeah. And so you sort of, you sort of talk about, um, in some ways, uh, maybe even, uh, reminiscent of the conversation we had with Dan about fan versus follower. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Complacent, complacency mm-hmm. and diligence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know, there because at the core of this, right, is again Jesus saying, "Here is," and he's 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 brilliant. He's just ruthlessly practical. He's like, "The kingdom of God's here. You can choose to live according to it or not. My reign and rule is here, and you can choose to live according to that. Follow me as King. Follow me as Lord, or not." And so Jesus, so often when he when you know, particularly in these sections where he's talking about, you know, I lit a candle not to cover it up. I'm bringing this message not to hide it but to just demonstrate like it's here and it's lighting up the world and that sort of thing. Um, And he's essentially saying like, you can have two postures with that. If you refuse to kind of accept that reality, he he really kind of says, that's fine, but it's probably not going to go well for you. Like, Mm. and he doesn't even follow it up with that. He just kind of says, that's okay. You don't have to live in, in light of this. And so you can be complacent about it. You can keep living according to the kingdom of self or the kingdom of whatever other, you know, map the kingdom of Rome, the kingdom of America, the kingdom of, you know, consumerism or whatever, like map any sort of kind of driving ethos, you know, onto that. And, and he simply just says like, you can choose. Um, and if you're complacent about it, he says, it's not going to make sense to you. Like if you don't actually lean in and try to live according to it, you're going to miss it. He says, but if you're diligent, if you consider carefully the phrasing he used, uh, you know, in the, in the section of text we wrote on Sunday, he says, if you're diligent about it, He says, you'll begin to slowly unpack and unlearn the ways that are counter to the kingdom of God, and you'll begin to take on the dispositions and the inward character that allows you to live into the kingdom of God. And so he said, and that's that's why I think when he he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. It's interesting because he doesn't, you know, he says, he follows that phrase up with, take my yoke upon you. And a yoke was a euphemism for like a, a teaching, a set of teachings. And so what's fascinating is he says, all you who are weary... I'll give you rest. And what we would map onto that is that he means go and take a vacation. Yeah. But what he actually says, no, take my teachings upon you. He actually gives us something to do, which is what we would think is the last thing someone who's weary needs. But in, in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, no, no, no. You, when you become the kind of person who unlearns these other kingdoms and learns from your teacher, your rabbi, your savior, Jesus, how to live into the kingdom of God, it becomes the natural disposition of who you are. So you, I mean, Jesus is after our character transformation. He wants us to become a different kind of person. And sometimes we, sometimes we, I think we, we miss that because we get fearful that um, it'll descend into us earning our salvation. And, 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 but there's a big gap. There's a lot of you know, gradation between us earning salvation and taking on the inward characteristics of Christ. And, and that's what he's after. He says, when you then, through a life of discipleship, take on my teachings that will have a transformative role in you to where then when Jesus says something like, again, the quintessential case I always use is love of enemy. Like if you are not the kind of person who can love your enemy, it will be exhausting trying to love your enemy. But if you've undergone the inward transformation to which you view your enemy as a fellow image bearer created as a brother and sister in Christ, then that is actually easier to love your enemy than to hate them. Hmm. Hate would be the hard thing. And that's like this, again, this this discipleship, apprenticeship to Jesus is unlearning these other kingdoms 
to which we are born into uh, and which we absorb and learn all from to say, no, I've got to learn the kingdom of God, which is, I think, is why that, that tweet is really good. Like, it, we, we will be bad at this at first. We'll absolutely be bad at this. Um, I mean, again, think of just, you know, we, we, our, our church, church life is in some ways an example of this where it, we bump into others who think different, have different opinions, all this, and it's hard and we're frustrated and sometimes we get angry at each other and we have arguments and all of that is Jesus saying, here's how you learn to love well. Hmm. And you do it here first and then we can understand what it means to love those outside the church as well. So it's, of course, it's the importance of community. It's the importance of a group of people following Jesus together. So I think there is a sense in which, like we, like you said, Jesus wants us to become a different kind of person. Yeah. But I find, I find um, thinking about it differently really helps me in that, like I, Jesus actually wants me to come, become who I was always intended to be. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's some there there's a living into yeah. the identity That's that good. God gives us. Mm-hmm. It's encouraging. You know, yeah. like yeah. Brandon, this isn't I'm not creating you to be something that you'll never become. I'm yeah. creating you to be I want you to I'm helping you shape your life yeah. to become the person that I had in mind for you. Yeah. Yeah. Which by the way is your most fulfilled. Yes. That's yeah. your your most at peace yeah. human. And we have to believe that change is possible. And like all of us would say, yeah, of course, of course, yeah, we can change, we can change. But I think at some level we we at times doubt that. But like like you know, we we can in fact become more Christ-like. And we get so down on that, but it's like, no, 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 like we can. We'll never we'll never be perfect. Like again, we get so caught up in that perfection conversation. And I think we have to loosen up and realize, no, no, Jesus wants us to progress in our faith, wants us to progress in Christ likeness. Um, I hope that, you know, if I were to run into someone I met 10 years ago, I hope they would notice some sort of difference in me. You know, some sort, particularly, I would love for it to be around the fruit of the Spirit, right? Something that exemplifies that difference. I think of, of Paul, you know what I mean? Who's a fascinating case, goes, you know, his story is, is so clear, right? He goes from murdering Christians to having this wild encounter with Jesus. To which then all of a sudden he becomes this, you know, the, the guy who wrote, you know, the majority of the New Testament. Um, but even then, in that New Testament, he writes he's the chief among sinners. Um, but I would guess that 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 the the different struggles he he had changed over time. Yeah. And and as he and this is the the wild thing about I think this maturity into Christ likeness is the more we mature, the more we get into the deeper rooted sins, and mm-hmm. so it actually becomes less of the things on the surface, the kind of easier accessible, like morally, you know, kind of negative things like um, lying, gossiping, um, you know, whatever it is, like map all those kind of onto there. But all of a sudden it gets down into what um, author Robert Mulholland calls our trust structures, the things on which we're building our identity on. And so when Paul says, I'm the chief among sinners, you know, we would think, but Paul, you're not, you're not greedy. You're not lying. You're not gossiping. But what he's getting at is he's saying, I've dealt with those things. And in my progression of Christ likeness, I've realized at my core, wow, this is an identity transformation mm. that has to take. It's something deeply rooted in me that has to change that trust structure that I hold. Um, so that was a bit of a tangent, but I think we, we forget sometimes we have to believe that Christ likeness is possible. Like change in Christ likeness is possible. We can actually become more like Christ. And if we don't believe that, I don't, I don't know if we can ever really change because we, we don't have yeah. the intention to change. This makes me think of um, this situation in college. I, I had learned piano. Um, I had taught myself piano in you know 
all throughout high school and stuff. And then I went to college and I learned how to read music and stuff in, in high school. Um, but not really for piano. Yeah. Um, piano was always really self-taught. So I went as a vocal major in, in college. And one of the things they tell you when you're a vocal major is that you have to take a piano proficiency. They, they don't want you just to be a good singer that can't play any piano. So you have to yeah. pass a certain level. And I'm thinking, I mean, I play p- functional piano, yeah. you know, I could yeah. play in a couple of keys yeah. and like I knew chords and that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking this is going to be no problem. So I, I go to my piano teacher and, and this guy, man, he was just so, so good. And he sat me down and he heard me just play something for me, you know. Yeah. He's like, all right, we got a lot of work to do. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, <laughs> he goes, to get you where you need to be, you know, like you need to understand chord theory a little bit better. And mm. and he showed me some stuff and just immediately I was torn between, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever seen like a, a mentor in action, but I was so torn between wanting to quit. Yeah. <laughs> Or like work hard. Yeah. <laughs> because I was like, I don't know. Like I will never yeah. get to this guy's yeah. level. Yeah. And then he broke it down. He was like, all right, you need to learn your two, five, one chords in every single key. Yeah. And then you need to learn your two, five, one chords in every single inversion in every single key. And then yeah. come back when you, when yeah. you've got that. And I'm like, wow, my gosh. And it was, yeah, it was just like this crazy, like I had to actually be, diligent and I had to yeah. be focused to become that person. Yeah. To become a guy who can play yes. piano at yes. some level, maybe not ever right. yeah. his level. And I did. Yeah. And I started doing these scales for the first time in my piano yeah. playing. And I started doing two five one chords. And on Sunday, on this yeah. yesterday, I played a song in B flat. Yeah. And I always know that I'm doing okay in a key if I'm not looking at the piano. Mm. And B flat because I'm not a real piano player, I play yeah. real piano players playing B flat. No problem. I have, I just don't. Yeah. I, I was telling like Margaret who was singing with us. I've played in B flat like two times in my whole worship leading <laughs> career. But That's for some awesome. reason yesterday I did it. And I don't know what, I don't know what, like I couldn't tell you Changed. when I started yeah. to be able to play in yes. B flat. Yeah. Between that time in college when he had me do all those, yeah. I know all of that put those keys in my head and put yeah. the right chords in the right inversion mm-hmm. so that I could play it. But I feel like there's, I feel like there's like, there's a practicality yeah. to living into Jesus yeah. that we often don't discover in our complacency Yeah, that when, when we decide yeah. to become diligent. And it's that moment, like you just described of saying when, when you're that mentor kind of said like, no, you got to learn the two, five, one or whatever theory, like you knew the amount of work it was going to take. And that's where you were at that point of decision where it's like, all right, I'm either like super encouraged and going to go for it or I'm going to quit because you knew like you could assess this is how much it's going to take to mm-hmm. become the kind of person to play your, you know, your two, five, one inversions or whatever. And am I okay to be where I am? Yeah. With the cost. Like, and, and to me, what's pinging is the rich young ruler, right? Mm. He comes to Jesus. What must I do to live into eternal life now? Like that's his question. And Jesus says, you know, yeah, yeah, you got to, you know, you know the commands? Like, let's start there. Start with the low-hanging fruit. You know, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Like, all the kind of, like, let's just start there. And he's like, yeah, I've done these. I've done these since I'm a kid. But this is where that progression goes, where Jesus says, okay, that's good. That was a good starting point. But now your next step then is can you sell your possessions? Because those are that more identity-rooted thing. Yeah. He says, are you willing to sell those? And, and you know, for, for the rich ruler, he's, he says no. 
and he walks away. And and for him, I imagine it was a moment of either, okay, now I know what it's going to take to live into the kingdom of God. And for him, he wasn't willing. At that know, moment. At that moment. I think about his life, though. Yeah. I think about as he watched Jesus' ministry unfold and as he started thinking, like, yeah. at some point, he probably kept asking himself that question over and over yeah. again. And, yeah. you know, his his money started confronting him more and more and being like, really, is this worth it? Yeah. Is having all this money worth yeah. it? And maybe at some point he said, you know, yeah. I'm ready to surrender. I know, yeah. like, there are things in my life that, that it's been a progression of surrender. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, like, depending on where you were raised and what church you were raised in, like, for me, the idea that, like, you surrender to God once was yeah. a big idea. Like, yeah. do this one big, the the mm. the prayer. Yeah, one time. God, I surrender covered. my entire yeah. being and life to you. And you do that at a youth camp yeah. when there's, like, emotional music playing. <laughs> and I'm not discounting. The Christian pad is playing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, like, discount that moment because I think it's a huge moment where you say, mm-hmm. my desire, like, Absolutely. I recognize my core yeah. desire is to surrender. Yeah. But to think that in one moment, you're going to surrender your entire yeah. existence yeah. and give away all those habits like like it's a progress it takes a it's, long time yeah, yeah yeah exactly and that's the and that's the that's really the that mystery of the seeds that jesus talked about right in that first parable he says you know the, this man the kingdom of god's like a man throwing seeds into the ground whether he sleeps or not like all of a sudden it just blooms like something happens there and that like even as you were describing to use your example a little further when you're doing those scales over and over and over and over again there's something mysterious happening in that where where you are becoming the kind of person who can play B flat, right? And it seems mysterious. It seems insignificant at the time. You're like, I don't want to learn these skills. It's, you know, maybe the trite example, like, like for whatever reason, Karate Kid just came into mind. You know what I mean? That scene was like, wax on, wax off. Yeah. And like Mr. Miyagi has him doing all these like things that for him, he's like, this is ridiculous. This is so insignificant. Why am I doing this? But somehow down the road, he realized those skills were being developed for him to be the kind of person to you know, do whatever, you know, he did or whatnot. But it's it's that kind of thing that we don't always map onto following Jesus. But to live in the kingdom of God, somehow he says, you drop that seed in, you just begin with a small step towards following Jesus, a, a small step of meditating on scripture, of stepping into a rhythm of prayer, of abiding by Sabbath, of fasting once a week, you know, whatever those little steps are, like a living into community, coming to church, maybe for you, like that's that first step is just entering into a community of faith and say, I'm just going to give it a shot. And somehow Jesus picks up on that kind of desire and that intention and says, yeah, the kingdom of God's taking root in your life. Um, and it seems insignificant, um, but it will, in fact, it is growing into this, this great, this great tree. Now sat next to this diligence and intentionality around following Jesus that Jesus is calling to. Then he, then he reminds us, or maybe for the first time helps us realize that it's not us yeah. that actually produces the yeah. fruit yeah. in this seed analogy. Yeah, yeah. And it, it brings me back to something that you said even a couple of weeks ago, that our our success, um, we have a lot of metrics, yeah. a lot of measures for success um, in the church, in our, in our lives. Um, but our success in the kingdom of God is is measured in our faithfulness. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not what we accomplish. It's not what we do for God. It's not yeah. how big our church can grow or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the measure you want to put on there. There's a lot of things that mean good things for us Yeah, that, that we can look at and say, God's working. But ultimately what Jesus yeah. is saying here and what you've said before, 
our success is our faithfulness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's that again that idea of that second parable. Um, you know, where he says it's like a mustard seed. He says it's this small, insignificant thing. You plant it in the ground, and it begins to grow. He says you don't you don't control that. You don't make that happen. But rather, God does that work. And so, if then that that is the case, where it is this sort of mysterious growth that is sort of inevitable, like the kingdom of God is here and present and moving, it alleviates us of the responsibility to do the metric kind of work, right? Where that's the thing that we have to pursue. I we have to grow this numerically to this. We have to garner more resources, have more funding, have whatever it is, whatever kind of those sorts of metrics that are really more oriented around the kingdom of the world um, than they are around the kingdom of God. Um, he says that that's sometimes we can map that onto our success. If, if, and this is at the core, a sort of prosperity gospel, right? If I give my life to Jesus, he'll bless me abundantly. Um, you know, and that, that's really getting at, again, this idea of like blessing, but what was meant by that? We tend to map onto that more money, more houses, more power, more influence. But, but in this sort of counterintuitive kingdom of God, I mean, we see Jesus at times with 5,000 people and we see him at the cross with, with no one but maybe a couple women around him, right? Like, and so you see this ebb and flow of, of his kind of metric success. But yet I would imagine, you know, at the cross is what all of us would say. That, that's the height of, of Jesus' ministry. Mm. And yet there's no one around him. But in that Not moment, many people would call that success. Exactly. Yeah. In and that, that's the whole intent. Not many would look at that and be like, that's the moment of success. But what did he pray in the garden a few hours prior? Not my will, but your will be done. Yeah. And that's that act of faithfulness where he said, I will, I will walk faithfully with God. And if it requires my death, if it requires me laying down my life, I will step faithfully into that. And that's the measure of success. And in the same way, like that's ours where we don't ever, we don't ever have to, nor can we as, as, as following our teacher rabbi, sacrifice the means, like the way in which we live yeah. for some sort of perceived good end. He says, no, 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 the kingdom of God um, brings the means and the ends in alignment. It's, yeah. it's in, uh, in, my, <clears throat> in my academic world, um, I study theology and ethics. And in ethics, we, we use a phrase that, that can be a little clunky, but I'll unpack it. It says, the means, meaning the way in which we do something, are the ends, the goal, in the process of becoming. Right. So the goal that we're pursuing, right, whatever that end is, is simply the means, the manner in which we are doing a thing coming to its fullest expression. Mm. And so then in the kingdom of God is, is we can't employ means that are counter to the kingdom of God to then live into its reality. So that, that's why I talk a lot about how any, any manipulation or coercion, like it has no place in the kingdom of God right. um, because it's counter to the kingdom of God. And so we can't employ whether it's ministry strategies or um, evangelistic efforts or ways in which we love our neighbor, like if they are coercive at their core manipulative, that's not, it's, it's counter to the way of Jesus. Yeah. And, and we have this, we have this <laughs> sense that the means justify. Yeah. Yeah. The ends. Is that right? Yeah. No, the ends justify the, ends the means. Justify the means. Yeah. And, and that's just, yeah. I mean, what you're saying is that how we get there. Is it's just as important, just not, as important, if not more important than yeah. whatever we do. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, that, I mean, you, you can map on all of in our <laughs> church world, you know, um, we see so many cases where people justify horrible behavior yeah. um, for the sake of some success measure yeah. at the end of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I know that our church was abusive 
you know, spiritually. Um, Thinking but, you're using a hypothetical example. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking <laughs> about our church. Uh, but look at how how big we've look grown. Look at what's good we did. Look at the yeah. good work we've done. And yeah, yeah we've talked about this before, but yeah. I just think that that is so huge. And for those of you that maybe you're looking at measures um, of success and you're feeling like maybe you're a failure or um, you're maybe church isn't doing as well or whatever whatever you're dealing with, yeah. like let that be an encouragement to you that... It's our faithfulness. God is the one who's going to do it. Yeah. Um, that's not a cop out to say we're going to be complacent because yeah. we just talked yeah. about that. Um, we we're diligent in following and becoming more like Jesus. Yeah. But this idea that we have to be do something in order to be successful. Yeah. It's God who really yeah. really actually does. And the it. only fruitfulness and and this is where maybe that you know it's a play on word right the faithfulness versus fruitfulness. But the only fruitfulness that we really should be concerned with is again that fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those are really the, quote, metrics of which are we growing in our Christ-likeness like we talked about earlier. Well, that will manifest not necessarily in um, what will appear as outward success, but it'll be, again, that inward character transformation where we recognize, man, when I when I abide by the Spirit, when I connect with, with God, which is what Paul's talking about in Galatians 5, when he talks about the fruit of the, fruit of the Spirit, he says, keep in step with the Spirit, and then out of keeping in step with the Spirit, that's our task, is then what comes is this light, this life of you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. So those, those inward dispositions happen. And so those, again, and, and all of those are metrics of faithfulness, where it's that's in the way of Jesus, we are slowly growing more into that Christ-likeness. And that may come with outward numeric metrical growth, or may not. Right. And that, but that we have to kind of get to the point where it's like, oh, that, that was never the game. It was never about that. Jesus is the one who's growing the kingdom. The kingdom of God is inevitable. We are just simply trying to be faithful to the way of Jesus. And then Jesus will, will grow the kingdom. He'll grow this or that and he'll, he'll extend it in this, this direction or that direction. Uh, It's not our responsibility. And so we are liberated from the, the almost the, the incessant kind of weight of having to do that work. We don't have to do that. It's not our work. So I want to leave uh, us with um, kind of a final thought, uh, and and this, this is around. You've thrown this around, Kevin, a lot. This idea of the good life, yeah, and what is our view of the good life? And all of us are kind of raised with this thing um, in the back of our mind that what does it mean when we've arrived? And yeah, you know, we start with what are we going to do when we grow up, and and what does being happy really mean, and all that kind of stuff, but. But I feel like what what you're really bringing up here is this idea of um, redefining what the good life is, and I, ju- I guess yeah. I just want to remind everybody in all of this hard work um, that that we're doing, all this intentionality um, that we're doing, it really is. We believe your deepest longing. Yeah, um, it's the thing that you want more than anything, even if you don't realize it's the thing that you want more than anything. Yeah. So I thought. Um, Kevin, it looks like you might have something else to say about it, but I thought one way to end um, would be to read, uh, I think it's Psalm 23. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, for some reason that's sticking in my brain. Do you have something to say, though, before we do that? Well, no, I was just going to say, like, that is that, you know, and I brought this out a little bit on Sunday, but <clears throat> that question of what is the good life, um, that's the, I mean, that's that's the question that that humans have been asking since really their existence. Like, who am I? 
and what's the good life, right? Like that's that pursuit. That's Aristotle. That's Plato. That's all these philosophers of old. And, and Jesus is giving an answer to that. And he's saying, listen, I, what is the good life? I've come to bring life and life to the fullest. I've come to bring that good life. And it looks radically different than those other answers. And, and that's, that's life in the kingdom is learning and trusting Man, this doesn't quite all add up, but this this is what Jesus claims is the good life. And and so in that, <clears throat> he's tapping into that kind of, again, that question that's at the core of what it means to be human. And it's not a bad question, um, right, to ask what is the good life. It's sometimes we can rag on that, but it's not a bad question. Um, but I would suggest that we lean into Jesus as a brilliant teacher, savior, Messiah. He understands what the good life is, mm. and it'll look different. But but can we can we step into that and trust and follow him in that? And it will be everything that you have been looking for. Yeah, yeah. So let's read that as we go. Yeah, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See you next week. <laughs>